Speed Cafe newscast. Your host, Mark Fogarty. Coming up, sudden impact. What Will Brown's bombshell move will mean. Anzac assault. SVG and Brody impress at Indy. Lean, mean and green. Supercars plan for sustainable future. All this and more straight ahead on Speed Cafe Newscast. The place of pace for motorsport news. Hi there, race fans. Well, all eyes were on Shane Van Gisbergen and Brody Kostecki at Indianapolis as the man of the moment, Will Brown, performed in, well, relative obscurity at Queensland Raceway. Just days after it was confirmed he'd be released from his contract with Erebus Motorsport at the end of the year, Brown returned to the TCR Australia Series in his previously troublesome Audi RS3 LM. Amid all the fuss about him replacing Van Gisbergen at Triple Eight from next year, he kept his head down and just got on with the job. Brown won two of the three TCR races at QR and finished third in the reverse grid encounter to top score on the weekend. He broke his silence cautiously, telling Speed Cafe newscast he wants to continue in TCR next year. Yeah, yeah, obviously it's been a hard start to the year, but uh, to come back and get two wins and uh, even third place in the uh, in the reverse grid was fantastic, so I uh, can't complain about this weekend. <laughs> this year I was able to fill up my year with TCR and racing, and that's been uh, fantastic. We've had a pretty tough year, as I said, but um, you know, I've been really happy to be racing, you know, nearly every second weekend um, for the whole of the year. So uh, if I can do that again next year, that'd be fantastic. But um, yeah, I'm always looking at opportunities and make, making myself better. Um, once you stop learning, you, you're not going to be, you know, probably to the level you need to be in our sport. So I find that racing something different, if it's front wheel drive car, whatever, um, it, it always helps. It'll certainly be interesting to see if Brown's Triple Eight deal allows him to continue in the secondary touring car series. Triple Eight is yet to officially confirm that Brown is replacing NASCAR-bound SVG. But of course, we all know that's exactly what's happening. Brown put all the conjecture about his supercar's future aside at QR to focus on winning again in TCR. Yeah, I'm a race car driver. I'm, I'm you know, come here to win and that's what I'm meant to do. The re Once I'm winning, the rest of the off-track stuff will take care of itself. So, uh, you know, I came here this weekend just to try and win and uh, I'm going to Tail and Bend just to try win. He's equally determined to help Erebus consolidate its leads in the Drivers and Teams Championships as Supercars resumes at the Bend Super Sprint this weekend. Yeah, I think we'll be uh, strong at the bend. Uh, there's been a lot of tracks this year that we've been super strong that we weren't last year. So uh, we're not focused on any any part of last year. It's just about going there and trying to winning. And uh, myself and Brody both have a chance to do that this weekend, uh, Tail and Bend. So we'll be going out there and trying our absolute most and trying to uh, keep that team's championship lead. Brown's impending move to Triple Eight opens up the driver's market. There's no obvious replacement to partner Brody Kostecki in what could be the title-winning team. Will Erebus stick with its youth policy or opt for an experienced hand? Declan Fraser, James Courtney, Nick Perkett and Scott Pye are expected to be up for grabs. Another contender could be Triple Eight co-driver Richie Stanaway, 
passed over for SVG's seat. It's also worth noting that informed Jack LeBrock is, as far as we know, yet to renew with MSR. Erebus could just as likely look outside the square for untapped talent. So stand by for much more silly season intrigue. Shane Van Gisbergen and Brody Kostecki both impressed in the NASCAR Cup Series race on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. SVG finished a solid 10th, while Kostecki battled back from practice and qualifying dramas to come home 22nd from the rear of the grid. They outperformed fellow road course ring-ins Mike Rockefeller, Jensen Button and Kamui Kobayashi. Starting eighth and mixing it in the top 10, on top of his credible oval debut in the NASCAR truck series, Van Gisbergen consolidated his future in America. As he told NBC Sports afterwards, the Indy road race was always going to be a tougher challenge than winning the inaugural Chicago street race, as he reaffirmed his plan to pursue a part-time NASCAR program next year. It's tough here because everyone's on it. Everyone knows the track and there's a lot more room for everyone. So everyone's racing aggressively, but can't thank the Project 91 guys here enough. The Enhanced Chevy, so much fun to be back. Um, and yeah, just hopefully can do more. Had an awesome battle with Kyle and, and Chris there. Uh, they got the better of me at the end, but battling with those guys was great. So what did you learn about how cup drivers race? Because you were kind of out in front of them at the street course. You were in the middle of it all today. Well, it's aggressive, but it's fair. You know, I, I put a block on the 48, and then the next corner he just moved me, so I guess I deserve that. But, um, yeah, his, the racing was fine. I, I really enjoyed it, and all the battling, when you go for a move on someone, they give you room, and they expect it back. So, yeah, really cool. How would you sum up your entire week? Because you ran the Oval at IRP in the Truck Series, which was, you know, a, a learning lesson, and then also the top ten here today. It's been an amazing week. I can't thank Justin Marks and the Trackhouse team enough to give me this opportunity. I learned a lot in the truck on Friday night and then, um, yeah, just to come here and race again. And although a top 10's awesome, your expectations are high because of the last race. So just have to realize that top 10's still pretty good. I'll ask you what I asked you after the win at Chicago. What's next? I mean, your team in Australia has already said, hey, you can go if you want to. You've said, I want to be here. Do you see yourself here full-time next year? Uh, I don't know about full-time, but I'm working towards something at least. Um, the team Triple Eight in Australia has been really good to me and forthcoming with what I'm allowed to do. So I'm working hard, but I'm um, here. It's so much fun. I'm having a blast. The fans here are awesome towards me and uh, and all, all the people too. I'm, I'm enjoying it. So really look forward to coming here. And what a record for SVG. The win and now a top 10 here at Indianapolis. Van Gisbergen and Kostecki are on their way back for this weekend's OTR Super Sprint at The Bend, the final sprint race event before the Sandown 500 and Bathurst 1000 Enduros. More after this short break. Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuels. And with the new Bowsers at Queensland Raceway, it's never been easier to source your racing fuel trackside. Race 102 is imported racing fuel direct from Europe, offering power and protection. The Elf Race 102 is a popular fuel with racers seeking gains over pump fuel. Improve your lap times with Elf Race 102. www.racefuels.com.au All your fuel at the racetrack. You're listening to the Speed Cafe Newscast. Welcome back. 
Sustainability is an increasingly important issue in motorsport, reducing the environmental footprint of events, as well as lowering carbon emissions across the board, is now high on the agenda of all major categories. Formula One has targeted net zero emissions by 2030. Supercars also has a formative plan to reduce the impact of events and racing on the environment. Last year, it appointed Tim Watsford as Chief Innovation and Sustainability Officer to oversee the overall greening of the sport. According to Watsford, it's a long-term sport-wide plan. Our long-term play is to really address kind of the 17 UN goals. That involves education, water, climate change, like you said, greener. Um, the immediate priority is is what is our environmental footprint or what is our greenhouse gas emissions piece. And, and all sports are doing it, as well as corporate and the, and the world more generally. So the f I guess I've only been here six months. The first six months and the rest of this year is, is effectively a data acquisition play. We need to understand what our impact is or what our footprint is from a greenhouse and carbon footprint perspective, um, assess that data and then formulate robust strategies that we can then deliver 5, 10, 15 years from, from now. Obviously Formula One's gone out there pretty loudly and proudly with a net zero policy by 23. Um, we'll see what, what ours is. 20, sorry, 2030, 23, 2030. Um, we'll see what that is over the coming kind of 18 months. We want to have some quick wins. BP, our fuel provider, which you've covered, is obviously doing some great stuff in the fuels component. We're looking at some really genuine offsetting programs that some teams can utilise. DJR, as an example, is, is fully carbon neutral as, as a team. We want to try and get all pit lane there um, sooner rather than later. And then we can go, right, what, what is our really tangible long-term strategies in reducing our emissions? Um, our, it's, it's no joke. Um, what goes on track um, is probably literally probably less than one or two percent of our total footprint. Um, business travel, logistics, the truck we're sitting in, our event footprint, that's that's where we're going to really try and make some inroads. Um, we look at and work with both our partners from a sponsorship perspective and the, luck, the, the luckiness, I guess, of this is having my relationships with government as well. So we want to align with what governments are doing. And and if I, if I, my discussions to date, it is a it is a very high priority for all governments. So if we want to continue to race in the areas and, and grow, um, <clears throat> we want to be as environmentally friendly as we possibly can. So um, I guess the, the key the key message out of that is this year is our data acquisition piece. Um, we're looking through materiality assessments mm -hmm. and, and really assessing our full carbon footprint. Um, Adelaide, as an example, is doing something similar with their, their sanction event. So they're out of the Premier and Cabinet. I know they're doing some work around what, what that event does. Um, get it all together, formulate kind of where we want to go from then on, and actually have a robust strategy that doesn't change. And I, and I say that because some countries and brands and, and, and areas more broadly ac actually have had to shift, in particular through COVID, around what they want to achieve. I think I have the board's support and we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that what we go and announce from a strategic sense, we own up to and achieve. So both from a short, medium and long-term play. That's the big picture. Here are some of the details. I think the biggest one's going to be logistics. Uh, and, and I can't quote what the percentage of, of our footprint will make up, but I think it's going to be well north of 60, 70%-ish, right? And that's kind of similar to where the F1 is. So around travel, um, what we're doing in regards to logistics with, with trucks and movement, um, with transporters, they're going to be our big big areas that we're going to have to focus on in the future. Um, you know, different synthetic fuels, looking at kind of partnering with our fuel providers. Um, once again, I know DJR are kind of looking at kind of how, how they move their stuff around in a more environmental way. Um, 
big questions on kind of um, waste and, and kind of where we are. Where, like I said, we are a big a big footprint in terms of what we bring um, to a town. So three days of you know north of 160, 70,000 people at Newcastle, example, is quite a footprint that we've got to try and address. So we're, we're doing that now. There's some events that we've got kind of commingled in, in different areas of recycling programs that we're, that we're putting in play. Very basic. I'm not going to say that we're, we're breaking records and achieving everything we can. That's an area that we'll have to focus on. Um, and then looking at kind of what is the next phase? What, what is the next way of transporting people? How, how, do, how do we do more things remotely? We'll look, off, we'll look after our own backyard in the immediate future. I, I say that headquarters, both in Sydney and, and, and Gold Coast, we'll look at areas of you know, solar and becoming off the grid, um, looking at our water consumption in our home base, and then trying to you know, apply that to our, our traditional circuit racing piece. And then how do we then address the infrastructure play on street circuits? That's probably roughly where we're heading. Um, but it's a challenge, I'm not gonna lie. And, and I'm, but what I would say is, if you look at us in comparison to other sports, we're actually no different. Yes, we've got a mantra around um, motor vehicles and motorsport, but our, our footprint is, is much broader than that. Our event footprint and our travel is, is very similar to an AFL or NRL. In fact, I'd probably argue AFL more. So, you know, there's, there's full rounds, 26 rounds of football where there's, there's players, coaches, umpires flying around every weekend. Um, that, is, that is quite an incredible area that they've got to try and tackle. So we're all in this fight together. Um, I have said um, quite candidly with government, we're at base camp and the, and the response I get back is, so are we, let's work together around finding some tangible outcomes. As mentioned, Formula One is aiming to be net zero on carbon emissions by 2030. Tim Watsford admits supercars is still many months away from a timeline to neutralise its environmental impact. Mate, good question, um, and one I honestly can't answer um, at the moment. We would like to be in a position probably quarter one, quarter two to next year to really answer that question properly. I think that's an important part for supercars to have targets. We want to try and break it down. They've got a pretty ambitious goal of, of 2030. We want to try and attempt to look at short, medium and long. Now that might be how do we address all our um, permanent circuits um, quickly, then look at our street circuits and then our, and our logistics or, or vice versa and mix them around. I'd like to be in a position, you know, this time next year we are talking about a year, a goal, um, a strategy, but at this point I can't put a year on it. We, don't, we just don't know. And, and being in the role and the enormity of what we, what we do, and I'll be, I'll be quite frank, it's, it's every day something new. It's, it's an exciting role to be quite frank. It's, um, it's got a lot of moving pieces to it. There's a lot of literature that, that's going in behind. You know, do we look at an offsetting program? There's, there's, a, there's plenty of um, media around the offsetting programs now actually don't exist. You can go and pay to plant trees in Nicaragua and working out they're not getting planted. So our due diligence is, 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 a, is a pretty high priority for us. Um, and that's coming from the top down. We, we, like I said, we don't, excuse the language, don't want to fuck it up. So that's in terms of trying to get to a target. I'd love to be able to say, you know, quarter one, quarter two next year, we'll be able to really announce what is our strategy. And, and talking with our guys internally, we want to publicize that. We want to be a champion for change um, because we can. We've got this platform that, <clears throat> you know, we are considered carbon emitters, but once again, I can change that narrative to say we're, we're actually no different to kind of the ball, ball sporting codes, probably less so. And that's how the message that we want to sell. Make no mistake. Minimising waste and carbon emissions is the greatest challenge facing motorsport in the future. In an upcoming episode, we'll hear more from Supercar's sustainability czar about a possible future move to synthetic fuel and tackling tyre waste in sprint races. Back soon. Speedcafe.com 
your number one source for all the latest motorsport news and features. Breaking news, live event updates, unprecedented global motorsport coverage, performance motoring news and reviews, all in the palm of your hand, anywhere, anytime. Speedcafe.com, first, fast and free. You're listening to the Speed Cafe Newscast. You're listening to Speed Cafe Newscast. As well as IndyCar and NASCAR at Indy, there was a packed Shannon Speed Series program at Queensland Raceway. Here's Jackie with a roundup of the weekend's racing. Queensland Raceway hosted the Shannon Speed Series over the weekend where Will Brown took two wins on his super cheap auto TCR Australia Series return. Rookie Brad Harris took his maiden victory. In GT World Challenge Australia, Audi dominated as Jeff Emery and Max Hoford took race one, while Liam Talbot and Garth Tander took a controversial victory in the second after contact with the 888 race engineering Mercedes AMG GT3 of Prince Jeffrey Ibrahim and Brock Feeney. It was a clean sweep in National Trans Am for Tom Heyman as James Moffat continues to lead the title. Jamie Tilly took two wins to Ray Hislop's singular victory in the Kumo V8 Touring Car Series. Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge was dominated by Nash Morris as he took all three wins. Morris, alongside Mark Griffith, also won two races of the monochrome GT4s, with Tony Quinn winning the headline Fight in the Night event. Colby Cowham also took home two wins and Ian Sharon the remaining victory in the Mobile One Australian production cars. The Australian Formula Ford Series raced at Sandown where Matt Hillier took the round after achieving two victories with Harrison Sellers winning the other. Sandown also hosted the Saloon Car Nationals as Super 2 driver Brad Vaughan became champion. Shane Van Gisbergen took part in his first oval race as part of the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series at Indianapolis Raceway Park to finish 19th. NASCAR Cup raced at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course where Michael McDowell took the win and Van Gisbergen placed 10th. Brody Kostecki was 22nd after starting from the back due to a qualifying crash. IndyCar also shared the billing with NASCAR at the Brickyard as New Zealander Scott Dixon was victorious. Australian Will Powell was 6th, Scott McLaughlin 8th and Marcus Armstrong a lap down in 24th. This is Jackie Shiby for Speed Cafe. Well, that's it for now. Back next week with the latest breaking news. In the meantime, for all the latest motorsport news as it happens, go to speedcafe.com. And for more discussion and analysis, join Damien Smy for the Speed Cafe podcast on Friday. I'm Mark Fogarty. Thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. 